I've had a good life. I couldn't always say that, uh, or at least I didn't think I could. But I've really had a good life, and uh, since uh, 1971, I've tried to live in a way that God would nod his approval to me every now and then. But there wasn't an incident in my life when I was four years old. This is for you. <laughs> the reason I say this is for Dwayne Cox. He asked me on Wednesday night, he said, do you have a funny story for Sunday? And I said, yes, I always have a funny story. But this happened when I was four years old. A lot of things when I was four I don't remember because that's been almost 70 years ago. But I was sitting one evening or one afternoon. It was a rainy, ugly day outside, I would say. So I was inside and I was sitting coloring something. My sister's here today, and she's already thinking about what I'm going to say. But I was sitting there coloring. I don't know what got into me. I couldn't have done it again if I'd have wanted to. But somehow, that Crayola color that I was using got stuck up my nose. <laughs> At the time, we lived down at Old Centerport, just across the way from where Cheryl and I live now. We didn't have a car. I was four years old. Daddy and mother looked at it, and they tried to reach it, and they couldn't grab it. It just kept going a little bit further up. <laughs> Finally, we didn't have an automobile, so Daddy got me in the boat, and we rode around on the boat to Blue Creek bridge. There was an old store there and we waited. Somehow we got a ride into Dable to Dr. Newman's office. He looked at it and he put this thing up there and he said, I can't grab it. I was really scared by then. He said, there's a doctor in Opelika. You just wait on the bus here. So we waited on the trailways bus. We got on the bus. We rode to Opelika. I did remember the doctor's name, but uh, through the years I'd forgotten that part. But I remember going in that office and going back when they called me back. And he looked and he had that light and he looked up there. He said, yep, got to come out. He said, but I can't grab it. That's two doctors that said they couldn't grab it. He took some kind of instrument, I don't know what it was, it was over and done with so quick. He pushed it on through. He said, now spit it out. I didn't know when it came through. You can't spit out something that you don't know is already there and it's gone. But anyway, I just say that, Dwayne, to say that I have had a very colorful life ever since. That's my sermon. <laughs> now, sermon comes from Colossians. Paul wrote to the 
Christians at Colossae, and he was concerned about them. He was concerned that they were not living as Easter people. They were not living as people who had experienced the resurrection of Christ. And he reminded them of what they should do. So listen to these words, and you can read along with me on the screen. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is uh, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, sister. She was... I told her, I said, when I point to you, say amen. <laughs> and she did. You did good. Amen. There you go. <laughs> On which side of the cross 
Are you living your life as though the crucifixion and resurrection never occurred? Are you living a life of victory? Paul says that we can live a victorious life and that's what we should be doing as he told the Colossians. He reminded them, hey, you know all about this and you ought to be doing it. But I'm afraid that sometimes we get in a situation where we are kind of like the farmer who met with a new uh, county extension agent. The new agent was going around all the farms meeting the farmers and he came up to this one farm and he saw the, the farmer outside near the barn. He went down there and he said, look, I'm so-and-so, I'm, I'm going to be your new county agent. On Tuesday night, we're going to have a meeting downtown at the Civic Center. I'd like for you to be there. We're going to talk about better ways to farm. And the old farmer stood there for a second and he said, well, I don't reckon I'll be at your meeting. I'm already not doing all that I know to do to be a better farmer. Sometimes we Christians think that we have enough knowledge and enough sort of put together that we don't have to worry about it anymore. But the cross says that we have to constantly constantly remind ourselves that Jesus paid a big price for us and that he was resurrected and that we too look forward to that time when we will be resurrected in glory. I want to tell you a couple of three short stories that come to mind when I think about the cross and the somewhat mysterious feeling that we feel when we see the cross. This one says, He is risen indeed. That one says, Hallelujah, He is risen. Some people wear a cross around the neck, men and women. Sports stars wear them. Rock stars wear them sometimes. I don't know if they wear them for the right reason. I just pray that that cross will somehow uh, remind them of what it's about. But three stories come to mind very quickly. Number one, I was in Costa Rica back in the 1980s or early 90s. And one night I was getting ready for bed. We were sleeping upstairs in an old parsonage over a church. We're sleeping on a mattress. And so uh, it wasn't a comfortable thing to sleep on, but we were there for a good reason. But I looked across the way out the window towards San Jose. I don't know if anybody had been to San Jose before. No one? Wow. You have. You have. It's a great place to go to. But that night, I was looking out the window toward the, the city of San Jose with all the lights and thinking about those 450 to 500,000 people that reside there. But beyond that, there was something that looked like it was floating in the sky. It was a giant cross 
and the Talamanca Mountains. I don't know how far it was away from where we were, but it shone so brightly. I said to my minister friend that was with me, I said, you got to get up and see this. All the time we had been there before, in the years before, we had never seen that cross. It was almost like God was saying, I'm here over this great city as he really is and was then. But that cross, I, I laid back down and I felt real comfortable. It reminded me that no matter where you are, God is truly there. The cross is a power in my life because I know what it stands for. The second story, I, I was a student at Emory in seminary and one Wednesday morning, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Sr., not junior, but senior, Senior was in the background, you know. Junior's the one made all the, the headlines and all, but Senior was just pastor at a downtown Baptist church there in Atlanta. Senior would lose his wife to an assassin's bullet while she sat on the, the uh, organ bench one Sunday playing. Someone that was disgruntled in the church went up and shot her while they were in services. But that particular Wednesday morning, I made it a point. I didn't go to, I have to be honest, I'm a sinner just like all of us are. Uh, back then, I didn't think it was necessary to go to every chapel service, so I didn't go. But I did go that, that Wednesday morning. And uh, I never will forget the sermon title. It was, take up your cross. And he preached for about 30, 40 minutes, and he finished. I don't remember all that he said, but I do remember this. He said, I'm glad that the scripture said, take up your cross, so that people will know who you stand for in this world. I waited around till after the service was over and made sure I knew which door he was coming out. And I stood there and I waited and I, I got it and I said, Dr. King, would you sign my program? He said, be glad to, and he signed it. Ever so often over these last 20, 40, 40 years more, I, I go through papers and throw them away. And last year I had a, a destroying day. I went through and I destroyed 40 something years worth of sermons and bulletins, I had a bulletin for every Sunday for 40 something years and my, my file cabinet was so full I just couldn't put anything else in it. So I thought, well, this is a good time to do this. But I ran across that bulletin, uh, that program that he had signed and I decided then I'll put that in the trunk for safekeeping. Someday somebody might look at it and say, well, I'll be dog. Granddaddy or daddy or whatever, maybe great, great, great granddaddy will say, somebody, grandchild will say, ah, he heard Dr. Martin Luther King Sr. But that's a good story. It impresses me even today. Then another story that is valuable to me because I met the man on, 
an occasion, Dr. Walker Rayleigh. Some of you may think, oh, I've heard that name before. He was a pastor at First United Methodist Church in Dallas, Texas. He came to Blue Lake, our campgrounds in Andalusia, and was with us for three days at a pastor's retreat. He told this story of being in Cuba during Castro's time. This is several years ago now. This is before the Soviet Union broke apart. He was there in the airport at Havana late one night waiting for his flight. And he was sitting there and just didn't have anything to do. And he just reached in his pocket and he did something that many of us can't do anymore. If you're like me, you don't carry change around in your pocket anymore. Am I right? But he said, I reached in my pocket and I pulled out a handful of change and I put it on the little table in front of me and I was just sort of checking it out and moving it around. And he said, there in the midst of that change was a little pocket cross that I'd been carrying for a long time. And he said, I got to looking at it. I picked it up and I put it back down and I just just looking and just sort of making time. But he said a flight came in from the Soviet Union and there were people getting off of that plane. A lot of them had on heavy overcoats. You know how warm Cuba is, but they were cold when they left the Soviet Union. But he said this one elderly gentleman came over to where he was seated or walked by where he was seated and he looked down and he took his hand and he tapped the cross. Now this was long before 89 when the Soviet Union began to break apart. This was when they were really a subdued people. But that man knew what that cross symbolized. He knew the value of the cross. And Walker said, he looked at him, and he looked back at him, and he smiled, and as he walked away, he did this, letting him know he knew the value of the cross. That man, even though he was in a, a terrible situation as far as life, he was free because of Christ because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Christ divides history between the temporary and the eternal. His cross draws a line between life as a sacrament and just as an accident in a wave of time. The cross separates two distinct eras of history. One marks time before Jesus was crucified, and the other marks the time after the crucifixion. As you live out your life today and all your tomorrows, which side are you going to choose to live on? 
Are you going to live as though it never happened? Or are you going to do like Paul urged the Christians at Colossae to do? Remember that Christ did something for you. Are you going to live out what he has done for you? Some choose to live as though it never happened. And i tell you how I know that. Because last year when we moved into the pandemic, people were so scared they didn't, I'm telling you right now, I've never seen anything like it, never experienced anything like it, and you haven't either. Everybody's just scared, 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 filled with fear. It was as though we... The world forgot that there was a God who loves us, who cares for us, who gave his son Jesus on a cross, was resurrected for us. Jesus didn't do it for himself. He didn't have to. He did it for us. Are you living today as a victorious Christian or are you still scared of all that's going on around you? Jesus said it more than one time. Do not fear. Do not fear. His sacrifice cost him. It didn't cost us anything. It cost him. What are you going to do with it? In our world today, there is a problem. And I think it's a great problem. That is, and this is something that somebody else has said uh, before me, but I want to repeat it because I think it's important. We say we believe in a living God and live as though he were dead. I didn't hear that. Thank you, sister. You see, here's what we do. We come to Christ, and basically here's what we'd like to say to him. I want to give you this part, but I'm not really ready to give you another. I can't give it all to you today. Maybe another time and I'll sort of stretch it out. Sort of like a friend of mine told me one time when I said, look, you know this thing that you do, it really hurts your witness. And I don't think that's judging. I just think, you know, it'd be like somebody, uh, well, I had a wedding not long ago and Things have changed so much over the years. There were young kids there. I say young kids. All of them are young when they're under 60. <laughs> they're young. These were college-age kids. And they all, before the service, it wasn't in a church, thankfully, but they all came up and they were imbibing. And they had their cans and their bottles with them. And they came up and sat down. And 
I stood there waiting. It was about five minutes before the service. And I stood there and I, I thought, well, I got to do something. I can't, I can't let them be there drinking beer while the service is going on. I just can't do that, Ron. Would you have done it? So I went down individually. I didn't try to embarrass them. I just went down individually and I said, look, if you can drink your beer, but I don't want to see any cans or bottles during the service for the wedding. Yes, sir. And they, they honored my request. That's the world that we live in today, though. There seems to be no discipline in what we do. Amen. And I didn't point to her. <laughs> Glory. I think about the disciples after the crucifixion and resurrection. The saddest thing that was ever said about the disciples during the time of the arrest and trial and crucifixion of Jesus, to me the saddest thing that could have ever been said about those disciples was that they all, what? Forsook him and fled. But I want to tell you something and just about done. Good, you got it. After the resurrection, when they were with Jesus, when he was with them those few days, I can't tell you exactly what happened, but I kind of feel like it was like a fire was set in their lives. If I live to next year, and the men are around that are willing to do it. Next year, we're going to do something around Easter time. It's not going to be the living Lord's Supper, but it's going to be what happened to those fellows after Jesus ascended to heaven. What did they do? History tells us what they did. And I want to tell you, it is so amazing. But they are the same men that before the crucifixion were scared to death and ran and hide and had, had no thought about leaving Jesus behind. But after the cross, after the cross, guess what? They went all over the world. If they could have had a, a good enough boat, I, I believe some of them would have come here to North America to share the gospel. Some of them went as far as India with the message that Jesus had told them. All of a sudden, they remembered Go ye into all the world and proclaim the good news. Amen. Amen. Well, I've said most of what I wanted to say this morning. Amen. 
Now, which one said that? <laughs> I've got to see you afterwards. <laughs> we sang that beautiful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. There's a story behind that for me. I guess you think, well, there must be a story behind everything you say. There is. <laughs> I was serving at East Bruton back in 1987. I had a young 16-year-old boy who asked me one Sunday after church. He said, Brother Dan, what's your favorite hymn? I said, well, I guess Amazing Grace. That was a safe answer. Everybody says that. I didn't have to think. It's a great song. He said, you know what mine is? I said, no. He said, great is thy faithfulness. I said, oh, I don't, I don't know if I've ever even sung that hymn. You know, you know about churches. Churches know certain hymns, and that's the ones they kind of sing over and over and over and over. You could leave a church and come back in 25 years, and they'd be singing the same hymns. It's true. We don't learn too many new ones. Uh, Kim tries to get us to do that from time to time. And that's great. But I got to thinking about it. He said that was his favorite hymn. And it wasn't even in the book they used. They didn't use a Methodist hymnal at that time. Amanda knows because she, she had association with that church while I was there. But Brian Rayburn, bless his heart, he went on during that time I was there to preach for me several times, 16-year-old kid. I hoped that it would encourage others to do the same. It didn't take hold, I don't think. But that song, if you would read the words to that song from time to time, it will enrich your life. It's wonderful, the wording. So rich, so beneficial to us. In the words of that hymn, we're promised all that we need to know about God and his love for us. Let's pray. Oh God, May we keep our hands in the hand of Jesus and our eyes on the cross. <laughs>